0: Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. It's not the red, it was gonna be experimented. I don't know
1: what Redwood yeah. Bureau yeah. Phenomenon 0261. The Lazarus Taxon.
2: R.B.P. Report 0261 initiated.
0: my my time time at Redwood Bureau taught me anything, it was that unseen horrors exist in practically every corner of the globe. They can be found both on the surface and below, in the skies and even beyond. A nightmarish patchwork of fantastic creatures and objects of every description. In this particular case, terror was lurking in the placid shadows of a remote beach on the coast of the Florida Panhandle. I'm referring to 0261, the Lazarus Taxon threat level disastrous strong potential for mass casualties along the northern coast of the gulf of mexico physical type arthropod ironically i was the senior agent who was in charge of this case following standard redwood bureau protocol i had intimidated the witness into swearing their secrecy and they would undoubtedly remember my face it is imperative that i remain unseen So I employed the services of another former agent of Redwood Bureau to pose as an FBI investigator in order to coerce the consultant into giving an interview. The following is their eyewitness account on the events leading to the identification, isolation, and classification of RBP-0261. The Lazarus Taxon.
1: So if I tell you what happened, I'm free to go. None of this will be used against me. That is correct. I don't know. I think I need to talk to a lawyer.
0: Hmm. Yes, I see. Well, feel free to call anyone you like. Just understand that I'll consider it to be an escalation on your end, and I'll respond accordingly. Right now, you're not under consideration for any charges. I can't promise that'll be the case if you decide to become difficult and uncooperative. (sighs) I see.
1: Okay, fine. I see you're recording this, so I'll just say for the record that I was told, by you specifically, that I would be okay if I cooperated, correct? That is correct. Please, start from the beginning. Okay, here we go. From the beginning. Well, Bar Beach was something of an open secret for many years. It's at the bottom of a cliff, so you have to park at the side of the road and climb down to get to the beach. The only other way to get there is on a boat. All things considered, the fact that it's so difficult to access is something of a blessing. If this happened at a beach that was popular with tourists, it would have been nothing short of a disaster. The whole thing started like a bad horror movie. A group of college kids had climbed down to Bar Beach to throw a birthday bash for a mutual friend. Right before sunset, someone realized the birthday boy had gone missing. They found him bobbing face down near the shoreline with something clinging to his back. Between the booze, their general panic, and the fading daylight, the witnesses could only say that it was roughly two feet in length and brown or gray in color. No one wanted to touch it, so one of them started hitting it with a piece of driftwood to make it let go. He had to hit it hard enough to break his makeshift weapon in two before it slithered off and disappeared into deeper water. The local police department issued a warning to stay away from Bar Beach while they continued their investigation. Unfortunately, making something off limits only makes it more attractive, especially when you're a kid. Just a few days after the first attack, three teenage brothers snuck past the barricade and made their way down the cliff. They all took pictures for social media and dared each other to jump in the water. The oldest brother finally worked up the courage to submerge himself up to the waist. He tried to goad the other two into joining him, but his younger siblings wisely refused to go in. As he was wading back to shore, he let out a scream and disappeared beneath a wave. When he didn't resurface, the middle child had to restrain the youngest one from attempting to dive in to rescue him. Cell phone reception is bad at the bottom of the cliff, so the boys had to climb all the way up before they could call for help. By the time a Coast Guard search and rescue team was able to retrieve the body, it had been devoured to the point where he was unrecognizable. He was positively identified through dental records. I actually grew up in that area, so when I read a headline about the first attack, it immediately caught my interest. My first thought was that he'd been attacked by a squid, but several of the witnesses described the creature as being more like a giant crustacean. They claimed it was sandy gray or brownish in color, circular or oval in shape, and it appeared to possess a multitude of legs. Now, these kids were all locals, born and raised. They were all pretty familiar with the marine life that you could expect to see in that region, but none of them could identify this thing. A few days after I heard about the second attack, I got a phone call at the museum from someone named Agent Conroy. He claimed to represent something called Redwood Bureau, and he asked if I would be willing to spare some time to answer a few questions. He described the Bureau as being a research facility, and assured me that everything was fine. He just wanted to ask a few questions related to my field of study. I said, sure, I can do that, and I invited him to come speak to me at the museum. There was a brief hesitation on his end. And then he asked if we could meet at the north gate of a nearby park instead. I thought it was kind of a strange request, but I agreed to meet him there after work. After work? I found myself sitting on a park bench beside a big, gruff-looking guy holding a briefcase. He got right to the point and asked, very bluntly, if I believed it could be possible for a prehistoric species to suddenly re-emerge in the modern era. I said, absolutely, and asked if he'd ever heard of the coelacanth, a prehistoric fish that was universally believed to have died out over 60 million years ago, until a fisherman caught one off the coast of South Africa in 1938. Since then, dozens more coelacanth specimens have been caught in a number of different locations, proving the first encounter wasn't just a bizarre anomaly. In fact, a live coelacanth has been spotted as recently as 2019, so much for being extinct in fact, the sudden re-emergence of extinct species happens often enough that we have a name for it. Such a creature is known as a Lazarus taxon. A plant or animal that seems to have disappeared from the fossil record for an extended period of time, only to abruptly return at a much later date. There is often no clear explanation as to why or how they returned. The coelacanth is a perfect example of a Lazarus taxon. This large, unusual-looking fish appeared in the early Devonian period, disappeared with the dinosaurs, and apparently returned without explanation 65 million years later. Agent Conroy looked like he was deep in thought. He asked, So where did they all go? Where were they hiding and why? I shrugged and answered, They were still here the whole time. I don't know where exactly, but they were still here. Probably been catching them in our fishing nets for thousands of years and simply didn't know they were significant or special in any way. I've read that they don't taste good. Their meat is oily and full of urea. We probably just said, ugh, it's one of those nasty things, and they got tossed back into the ocean." Agent Conroy nodded, his eyes distant and guarded as he pondered this information. He opened the briefcase and pulled out a stack of glossy photographs. He handed them to me and quietly said, "'This thing was found half a mile down the coastline from Bar Beach. What is it?' I glanced at the first photo in the stack and did a double take. I rapidly shuffled through them all, blinking down at them in disbelief, and I muttered, Are these real? Is this a joke? Agent Conroy gave me a cold stare. He rumbled, I don't make jokes. Can you identify this creature? I shuffled through the photos again, taking my time to scrutinize each picture carefully, and I said, From what I can see in these pictures, I would say this is probably a trilobite. The class Trilobita was a taxon of prehistoric arthropods that disappeared from the fossil record 250 million years ago. There were more than 20,000 different species of this Cambrian critter over a span of 270 million years, making them one of the most successful forms of marine life in the early history of our planet. During this time, they evolved to fill a number of different ecological niches. Some of them crawled over the seabed as filter feeders, and others actively swam the ancient waters to feed on plankton. Some trilobites even became amphibious and walked around on land. Many trilobites were likely harmless to anything but the smallest primordial sea creatures, but still others were fearsome predators. I held up a picture of the creature lying beside a tape measure and exclaimed, if this thing is real, well, it's enormous. A lot of trilobites were fairly small, just a few inches long. This beast is even bigger than Isotelus rex. That's the largest fossil we've discovered so far and it was 28 inches long. The sheer size of this thing is incredible. This, however, right here, this is something I've never seen before. I shuffled through the pictures until I found the one I was looking for, the ventral view of the specimen Cephalon. I said, this is the bottom view of its front end. Their mouths are usually covered by a calcified plate called a hypostome. They'd either use it like a plow to stir up the sandy seabed or they'd shred living prey against it like a cheese grater but this thing is entirely different. It appears to have a sharp beak, almost like an octopus or a squid. The cephalic limbs are tipped with structures that look like claws, which is definitely very unusual. And do you see these nasty spines on its thoracic region? They're called nathobases, and they're a weapon for ripping and tearing their prey. These are the biggest, meanest looking nathobases I've ever seen. They would carve your arm or leg into ribbons. Agent Conroy made a shushing gesture and I realized that I was talking too fast and too loud. I was almost thrumming with excitement. This was the paleontological discovery of a lifetime.
0: It's 32 inches long and just under 23
1: inches wide, Agent Conroy said quietly. He gave me a stern look and added, Please be mindful to keep your voice down. The wrong person might hear you. I looked around self-consciously, but I didn't see anyone standing nearby. I lowered my voice and said, Sorry about that. I really don't think anyone is listening, though." Agent Conroy leaned in closer, a crooked smile on his lips, and he breathed, "...whether you know it or not, someone is always listening." The flat, undeniable certainty in his eyes made the hairs involuntarily stand up on the back of my neck. He held his finger to his lips for emphasis, then opened his briefcase and placed it in my lap. It contained a manila envelope, and beneath that, several banded stacks of $100 bills. He said, We believe we may have a serious problem on our hands. Please read through the report in the envelope. The document included eyewitness accounts of the incidents, a concise summary of the autopsy results from both victims, and a toxicology report on tissue samples from the first attack. The first victim had been injected with a venom which acted as both a neurotoxin and a cytotoxin, a double whammy of doom. Exposure to just a small drop was akin to being bitten by fifty brown recluse spiders and just as many Brazilian wandering spiders, all at the same time. He had suffered a massive heart attack and respiratory failure, a one-two combo that would have left him gurgling and helpless in the water. The second victim had been almost completely consumed, nothing remained save for a few shreds of skeletal muscle clinging to the bones. Agent Conroy sat there and stared off into nothing while I leafed through the documents of the envelope. When I was done, he said, The toxicology report in particular is very concerning, isn't it? One poke, and your history. I solemnly agreed with him. Although we don't know for sure, it's likely some trilobites were venomous. There were literally thousands of different species in the class Trilobita, and venom is a pretty common weapon in the animal kingdom. I pointed out the condition of the second victim and said, The specimen in the photographs is huge for a trilobite, but it's not big enough to consume an entire human being. I think he was swarmed by a number of them, either before or after death. Agent Conroy asked, do you think they were hunting in a coordinated group? I said, it's possible. Either way, I'd say there's probably a large presence in the vicinity of Bar Beach. I have no idea where they came from, but there's definitely more than one. Conroy looked at me with that distant, dispassionate stare, and I remember feeling very uncomfortable. He had the energy of a revolver with the hammer cocked and a finger curled around the trigger. I was suddenly aware that I'd somehow gotten myself involved with dangerous people. Agent Conroy said, I'm afraid I'll be requiring your expertise
0: for a little while longer. I'll send a car to pick you up tomorrow morning at 5am, bright and early. Be ready. It's supposed to be a hot one tomorrow, so dress appropriately will be outdoors.
2: This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.
0: Signal Connection Restored
1: Now let's be clear. I'm no Indiana Jones over here. I work at a museum with air conditioning and coffee machines. Danger is not my forte. Not at all. I tried to explain that I had work to attend to at the museum in the morning, but Agent Conroy shook his head again and grunted, We'll take care of it. Just think of this as jury duty. It's your responsibility as an upstanding citizen. His tone of voice left very little room for argument. I walked away with the briefcase clutched under my arm and a queasy knot in my stomach. I deeply regretted my decision to meet with Agent Conroy. As much as I loved the Jurassic Park movies, I had very little desire to experience such a thing in real life. I work with fossilized remains, not living creatures that are capable of killing and eating me. The fieldwork I did as an undergrad was certainly grueling at times, but it was never a life or death situation. When I got home, I counted the money and almost fainted. It was $10,000 in cash. I had never seen so much money in my entire life. I wondered what kind of people can casually toss around 10 grand like they were tipping the pizza guy. Bad people. That's who. Very bad people. As promised, a dark sedan pulled into my driveway at exactly 5am. It was still dark outside. I had slept very poorly and I was a bundle of nerves. The man behind the wheel said, good morning, and nothing else for the rest of the drive. He was wearing dark sunglasses and a small discreet earpiece with an adjustable mic. He was somehow menacing and completely unremarkable at the same time. Despite his ominous aura, I wouldn't have been able to pick him out of a lineup even five minutes after we parted company. My only impression of him was dark sunglasses and a crew cut. Everything else was a question mark. We drove to the port of Pensacola in silence. Two large men who looked nearly identical to the driver ushered us to a large trawler that was equipped with a deck crane. Agent Conroy was already on board. He'd swapped the dark suit for a polo shirt, deck shoes, and a pair of Bermuda shorts. He looked like a hired gun on vacation. Agent Conroy nodded at a boxy-looking contraption outside the crane and said, "'This strange-looking gadget over here is Neptune
0: 3. It's a remotely-operated vehicle with sonar, high-definition video, and a vectorized thrust system. We're going to head over to Bar Beach and take a close look at what's swimming around. I think I already know what we're going to find.'
1: We departed just as the sun was cresting over the horizon. When we got to our destination, Agent Conroy ordered the captain to anchor the boat at a depth of 40 feet. I watched the crane arm swing the ROV over the side and lower it with a built-in hydraulic winch. I had always imagined they would look more or less like a tiny submarine but the ROV was actually a conglomeration of instruments and devices inside a rectangular framework. The whole thing was roughly six feet long and weighed a few hundred pounds in total. As Neptune 3 disappeared into the Gulf of Mexico, Agent Conroy beckoned me to join him in the control room. The ROV operations team were already busy at their stations. Two monitor screens were showing a crystal clear view of Neptune's surroundings from different angles. Agent Conroy stood patiently in the background, his hands folded in front of him, and a stoic expression on his face. I, on the other hand, found myself breaking into a light sweat. I was already trying to come up with a title for a research paper, maybe even a book, why not? It would probably become a bestseller. It's all fine and good to publish a research paper in a prestigious scientific journal. But selling science to the masses is how you make yourself a name. There's a reason why a lot of people know who Carl Sagan is, but most of us probably couldn't name any of the dozens of his very capable peers. And honestly, who doesn't want to be known as an expert in their field across the world? A number of minutes ticked by while we all watched the video feed. The waters were empty of life. The ROV pilot murmured, It's awfully quiet down there. Where is everyone? No fish, no turtles, no crabs. Nothing. I haven't seen anything bigger than an oyster. What's going on down there? The operations manager perked up and asked, What's that? I see movement. The pilot guided Neptune 3 closer to the seabed. The movement in question was a shifting heap of trilobites, legs kicking and skittering as they all competed for a share of a dead manatee. The pilot looked back at Agent Conroy and gasped, What the hell is that? Agent Conroy said, Never mind that for a moment. Are we recording the video feed? The operations manager cast a nervous glance at the pilot and answered, Yes, sir, we are. That's correct. Do you want us to continue filming these... whatever these things are? Agent Conroy shook his head and grunted, No, that's good. Please continue exploring the area. How long is your tether cable? The pilot said there was another 800 feet on the reel. As Neptune 3 ventured into deeper waters, it caught almost 30 trilobites on camera within a few minutes. Some of them were swimming through the water with astonishing speed, and others were lazily skimming across the seabed in search of a meal. Most of them appeared to be at least two feet long. I noticed there seemed to be a lack of either juveniles or smaller species of trilobites. I pointed this out to Agent Conroy and said, I think they may have been reduced to cannibalism. There's nothing left around here to eat. The ROV's sonar revealed nothing but more trilobites. The waters around Bar Beach were completely devoid of anything but the smallest marine creatures and hundreds of voracious, venomous creatures from the ancient past. Agent Conroy gave me a grim look and asked, well, what do you think? How do we deal with this situation? I don't know enough about them to have an informed opinion. I've worked with their fossils, but I've never seen one alive. If you still want my opinion, I think you need to cast some nets and try to round up as many as possible. Just keep trawling the waters until the nets come up empty. It's obvious they're devastating to the ecosystem. If you don't get rid of them immediately, these things are going to spread out in search of prey. It won't be long before they wind up at a crowded beach. Beyond that, all I know is that I would like to examine one as soon as possible. The ROV data engineer looked up from his laptop in the corner of the room and said,
0: Neptune is equipped with a rotating gripper arm. It can exert up to a thousand newtons of force. I might be able to grab one from above and bring it to the surface. Do you want me to try?" I gave
1: Agent Conroy a pleading look. He reluctantly nodded and said, We already have a specimen in our possession, but it's not alive. Yes, capture one alive if you can. Neptune 3 hovered over a particularly hefty trilobite that was crawling along the bottom, and the pilot deployed the arm. As soon as the claw clamped down on the trilobite's hardened shell, it began to thrash around and emit a warbling, high-pitched vibration that made Neptune's microphone crackle with distortion. Almost immediately, a veritable horde of trilobites came zooming in from all directions. They swarmed and attacked the marauding invader as one, covering Neptune in a blanket of armored fury. The operations manager snapped, Pull up and get the hell out of here! But it was too late. The screens went dark, and the ROV disappeared beneath a squirming, struggling wave of prehistoric vengeance. The pilot cursed at his controls and growled. They severed the cable. We've lost communication. It's gone. There was a long, heavy silence in the control room. Agent Conroy rubbed his temples and sighed. This is much worse than I'd feared. Well,
0: I can assure you that you'll be fully reimbursed from the loss of your equipment by Redwood Bureau. As it currently stands, I believe we're done here for today i'll ask the captain to bring us
1: back to the port the rov pilot flushed red as a brick and jumped out of his chair he yelled do you have any idea how long it takes to design and build a machine like neptune 3 you can't just stroll into an rov dealership and buy one off the lot Our company is dead in the water, do you understand? We can't even hire someone else to reclaim the damn thing because of your non-disclosure agreement. How's that for a kick in the teeth? We're dead in the water. We can't place a bid on a potential contract if we don't have an ROV. How are you going to compensate us for that, you stupid bastard? Agent Conroy looked at him with a placid expression, the calm reaction of a man who had peered into the depths of hell on more than one occasion. He said,
0: I understand your concerns. Unfortunately, I don't have these answers
1: right now, but I can assure you they will be addressed in due time. I'm sure the Bureau will find a solution. The pilot sputtered, oh fuck you, you pompous ass, and started forward with his hands clenched into fists. The operations manager tried to step in front of the younger man and stop him, but the pilot shoved his boss aside and came at Agent Conroy with a string of guttural curses on his lips, his finger violently stabbing the air between them. As soon as the raging pilot stepped into Conroy's personal space, he casually stepped back with one foot and gave the aggressor a swift, open-handed chop across the side of his jaw. There was a sickening pop, and the pilot instantly folded like a rag doll, hitting his head against the unyielding wall on his way down. He collapsed onto the floor and let out a horrible, gurgling snore, his arms twisted into an unnatural pose in the air. The entire exchange was over in a matter of seconds. We all let out a collective gasp, and Agent Conroy glared around the control room with an open challenge smoldering in his eyes. Everyone looked away, myself included.
0: Redwood Bureau will
1: resolve this issue within a reasonable time frame, he rumbled. They have access to services
0: and expertise that far exceeds what you'd find in your average manufacturing facility. Behave yourselves, toe the line, and I promise you'll be fairly compensated for your losses.
1: The operations manager knelt down beside the unconscious man on the floor and mumbled, But who determines the fairness of this compensation? Redwood Bureau, I assume? Agent Conroy froze him with a cold stare. He said... Yes, that's correct. And those three words hung in the air between them, a clear warning to drop the issue at once. The data engineer poked his head out from behind the nest of computer equipment in the corner of the room. His eyes narrowed in frustration and anger. He snorted, The bigger gun always makes the rules, doesn't it? That's the way of the world. Agent Conroy paused for a second. A look of shame flickered across his face, there and gone in the blink of an eye. He pointedly ignored the data engineer and muttered, there's a medic on board.
0: I think you'd better call for him. Your pilot needs medical attention. Frankly, he's lucky to be alive. I hope you all understand that.
1: Conroy whirled around and stormed up to the deck. The operation manager let out a sigh of relief as the door closed behind him. He said, someone call the bridge. We need that medic ASAP. I hesitated, unsure of what to do next, and then I followed Agent Conroy. I found him leaning against a railing, staring off into the horizon with troubled eyes. Without turning to look at me, he said, Fishing nets and constant trawling, baited traps, physically catch every single one. There's no other way. I could sense there were some very heavy secrets boiling around beneath his brittle veneer of cold professionalism. He looked profoundly tired. I asked, and then what? Will they be destroyed? Agent Conroy started to answer, and then he closed his mouth again. He chose to stay quiet, and in his silence, I found my answer. I sensed it was a bad idea, but I gathered my courage and asked, Agent Conroy, what is the real purpose of Redwood Bureau? You said they're a research facility, but I don't think that's exactly the truth, is it? Agent Conroy seized my arm in a painful grip and pulled me close to whisper in my ear. He said, doesn't matter where you are. You
0: must always assume someone is listening. Do us both a favor, and don't ask me those kinds of questions. If you do that again, I'll have to kill you. There will be no choice in the matter. I'll have to assume the wrong people were listening, and I'll kill you. Please, don't make me do that. I already have innocent blood on
1: my hands. I don't want any more. I saw in his eyes that he was telling the truth. I whispered back, Why? Why would you have to- to do that to me. He pressed his lips together and squeezed my arm a little tighter. He said,
0: there can't be any uncomfortable answers if there were never any questions. Do you understand? That's how secrets are kept. Now get away from me and stay away for the remainder of our voyage. You're a liability." Agent
1: Conroy let go of me and started walking towards the bridge without another word. A man with a medical kit came hustling to ask him something. The agent ignored him and kept walking. I called out. Are you the medic? He's down in the control room by the crane. I think he has a concussion. His jaw's probably broken too. The medic yelled back. Do you know what happened? I suppressed an inappropriate urge to cackle mad laughter and say, he messed with the bull, sir, and he got the horns. Instead, I shrugged and silently pointed in the direction of the control room. After he was gone, I stood by myself on the deck for the duration of the trip back to the port. I was deeply shaken by everything that had happened in the past 24 hours. I had no idea what was coming next. I was more than a little worried that I might go missing, and I definitely had no intention of asking any more questions. When we got back to the port, Agent Conroy cornered me and made me sign a lengthy non-disclosure agreement. When I was done, he waved the sheaths of papers under my nose and growled, We both know these carefully worded legal agreements are essentially meaningless. They're just words.
0: They're not going to stop you from talking. So understand this. I will be the last thing you see on this earth if you ever tell a single soul. Remember, no matter where you are, you should assume that someone is always listening. I
1: asked if I would be allowed to examine a specimen. Agent Conroy said, Your services are no longer needed so there it is that's what happened now what am i going to get killed now are you going to protect me
0: i can assure you that you're not in danger we'll be in contact if we need anything further thank you for your cooperation redwood bureau arranged for several fishing boats to trawl the waters of bar beach for the remainder of the month The result was the capture of over 900 specimens, and the accidental deaths of two agents and six crew members. The deceased were all given a burial at sea. There were already too many questions being asked by the local authorities, and questions can lead to uncomfortable answers. The only way to keep a secret is to prevent questions. To this end, the data engineer aboard the fishing trawler was correct when he said, The bigger gun always makes the rules. It was these unpleasant truths that were eventually the catalyst for my decision to defect from the Bureau. All but six breeding pairs of the trilobites were destroyed. The breeding pairs were transported to an unknown location, or I presume further studies are being conducted on the habits and physiology of these deadly time travelers from the ancient past. Sonar mapping of the area revealed an underwater cave, which may have been exposed by an earthquake in 2006. A second ROV was sent down to explore the cave, but the probe was lost and presumed destroyed during an attack by something within the cave. Analysis of the video footage suggests the creature may have been a variety of Anomalocaris, a giant shrimp-like predator from the Cambrian period. I recommended the cave be sealed off for the safety of the public. Which resulted in my prompt removal from the case by my superiors. According to my intelligence, the entrance to the cave is still open, and Redwood Bureau is planning to explore its depths with an armored probe. We can only pray their reckless intrusion does not result in the release of more deadly predators from a time long forgotten. RBP report 0261 deactivated.
1: I'm Josh Tomar, host of Redwood Bureau. Thank you for listening. Redwood Bureau is a horror fiction podcast and part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. For more dreadful terrors, follow Redwood Bureau on Spotify and iTunes and check out our other podcasts like Unexplained Encounters and Freaky Folklore on your favorite podcast platform. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch under username Tomamoto, T-O-M-A-M-O-T-O, and my voiceover is featured in a wide variety of your favorite video games, anime, and other animated shows. Until next time, don't forget, this world is a strange one.